Welcome to Real Everyday People, an Eladio Nino podcast. You either die the hero or see yourself become the villain. See too many dark nights and light the way you're living. They got me living. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? This is the El Nino podcast. I'm Eladio Nino, and this is Real Everyday People. So thank you for everybody who's tapping in, watching live, and those who are going to watch after. I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing, for subscribing, all that good stuff, man. Thank you for all the love and support. So yesterday I celebrated my one-year anniversary being married to my wonderful wife. You know what I'm saying? We took a whole day to ourselves, a much-needed uh, treatment. We, had, uh, we went to Inception in Farmington Hills. Have you heard of Inception? Nah. Listen, Inception is dope. They do brain therapy, body Damn. therapy. I mean, they ta- they tap into everything. Like, they have, like, salt water floating devices. They got red light therapy. That was, like, my favorite thing. And it's to help heal trauma. Mm. Um, so we did that. And then afterwards, we had a couple's massage, uh, which was so dope. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we went to eat at uh, Malik El Kebab. They got some awesome ass uh, lamb chops there. So like the whole day, man, was just so perfect, man. I thank God. You know, I'm happy. You know, me and my wife successfully made it a year. And maybe we, maybe we make it 100 more years, you know. But, um, you know, also I want to send uh, my prayers and my heart out, you know, to the family of Lauren uh, Michael Courts, uh, you know, the officer who was killed last last week. And, um, you know, me and the ceasefire team, we attended the funeral today. And, um, you know, so my prayers go out to him and his family, you know. But, um, you know, we got a hell of a guest out here today. I mean, the way I met this man and just to see how he's been building his life and how I've been building my life and everything he's doing. Um, for those who don't know, this is my man, Miguel Reyes. Hey, what's up what's with up, you, brother? brother? Yeah, thank you for the invite, for sure. Man, dog, I'm so grateful to finally get you here because I know you're like a busy man, just like I am. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. uh, we have so much to talk about. We got so much good history, everything we've been contributing, everything you've been doing. Like, I love it, bro. So let them know who you are, where you're from, and what you're Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. So my <laughs> name is Reyes, uh, you know, Michael Reyes, Miguel Reyes. I go by Reyes Poetry. Uh, and I'm a spoken word artist uh, first, but, um, you know, uh, through poetry and spoken word, I was able to have the privilege to come to Detroit um, and started an organization um, with my business partner, um, Elizabeth Stone, uh, we are culture creators and we are culture creators is an organization that serves all of Detroit, uh, but is based in Southwest. And basically we help young artists and creatives with pathways to access and equity in music, art and culture. And really what that means is we just help them find opportunities, help them uh, through mentorship, build their businesses, help them find gigs and, and opportunity in music, art and culture. Bro, <laughs> and everything in between. And everything in between, for sure. You no, know, that is so dope, bro. So I ended up meeting uh, uh, Reyes while I was doing time at uh, in Jackson. We were at yeah. Jackson Cooper Street. Shit, Jose Rivera was there. Mario Bueno was there. Rick Speck was there. All of us were sitting Luce. here doing time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Luce, Lucy yeah, yeah. Barra, yeah, we was yeah. all there. We were doing Chance for Life program. We was already, you know, in motion and, you know, getting our lives together and uh and we were all um me and jose were the head of the hosta for those who don't know hosta was an organization that was recognized by the administration and the state within prisons for the latino community and hosta stood for hispanic americans striving towards advancement so in prison you see you see you you seek um sponsorship from the outside so if you can get other organizations and people to come on in you know i'm saying to teach you history or you know anything thing that's valid that yeah. contributes to the to the population and uh so we ended up getting a hold of Maximo Maximo yep. Anguiano yep, yep. he ended up being our sponsor he was a teacher at Jackson Community College out there in um in Jackson and then um he we had a sequel to Mayo event yeah, bro yeah, yeah. and you came and you you guys tore the place up man you guys you. you did that spoken word oh my god everybody was so amazed because you were like you got a piece from everybody like yeah. five of us you were like say something give me something tell me something tell me something and then you took everything that everybody said 
and then just flowed with it. I was like, oh my God, that was so amazing. Thank you, bro. bro. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Man, you touched a lot, a lot of people that day, bro, just with your creativity, your talent. And then, like I said, bro, like, you know, to get people like you who care about even people who are on the inside, because, you know, in there we get treated like second class citizens. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know how they say out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. But here you are taking a day out of your life, you know what I'm saying, to be able to come in and contribute to our lives. You know what I mean? And you definitely made a hell of an impact. And it's just so amazing because I come home, bro, <laughs> and you're like building, you know what I'm saying, yeah, an yeah. empire right here in <laughs> yeah. Southwest Detroit. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, hell no. But hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. My dog. Yeah, I mean, I think like that show was, people ask me, you know, what was my favorite show to perform at? And through poetry, you know, I haven't been as active, um, you know, in the last few years because I've been focusing on We Are Culture Creators. Um, but, you know, Jackson State Prison, Cooper Street was like one of my favorite shows only because I feel like um, a lot of times you're dealing with, you know, schools or universities or institutions and they might, you know, they see poetry. You can go online on YouTube. You can. But, you know, there I just felt like the attention to every word I was saying was like being listened to. Right. Like every single like and then you know the applause after every poem um it was dope you know but i think like part of it is also connecting with folks you know in chicago when i was living there i lived in chicago for 13 years um i did a lot of work around political prisoners and i wrote a play called crime against humanity and we toured that play to like 137 Damn, locations yeah yeah Damn, we went around the world with dope it as hell. and um part of that was i interviewed 14 former political prisoners and three that were still incarcerated so I had kind of already had an experience with understanding kind of the formation of, of prison and the dehuman, dehumanization uh, of prison and how like the prison industrial complex kind of like just looks at basically those folks in prison as like numbers and, and like kind of almost like, you know, um, just like little pawns in the chessboard, right? And so going there and experiencing it firsthand you know I, I had never been to prison obviously you know like i had been arrested for in jail or something like small but mm -hmm. to go to prison right and going through that system uh even checking in and that experience of checking in mm -hmm. um you could just feel right away the dehumanization right even as a guest and the jokes and you know like you know the way the guards kind of kind of like reacted to me being oh you're a guest here for these guys type of thing um <laughs> but you know experiencing it and then you know, Mario Bueno tricked me into eating a uh, prison lunch. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm eating the lunch. You sat down. I, yeah, I, yeah, I was trying to uh, be rude. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And, he, and, I, and, he, and then I'm eating the lunch. He's like, I don't eat that shit. And I'm like, yeah. bro, oh, you don't eat it, but I can eat it? Okay, What was cool. Maximo's homeboy, the big boy? That, uh, that was, uh, so that was uh, Rick, Ricky Valen's manager. What was his uh, name? Rick, there was, oh, yeah, it, I remember yeah, Ricky it was his, Valen's. Yeah, it was Ricky Valen's manager. I can't yeah, remember his name. He's Sam or something? Yeah, Sam. Yeah, he's, a, he's, Sam. A, he's in Lansing. Yeah, All them boys from Lansing, man. They came in and shared their stories. Yeah, but I don't think they ate the lunch though I was he the did only that's oh, what did. i remember <laughs> sam sat next to me sam sat next to me and ate the lunch he got a, yeah, a five thousand dollar chain on yeah, his neck he's sitting even eating. even for me though it's funny because like i had like a gold chain and a watch so i took all that shit off before i went <laughs> i was like i want to be respectful and i walk in these fools got all their jewelry oh, on and shit, shit. i'm like bro they did they did yeah. i was like bro what then you I guys doing? came with a whole bunch of students from jackson community yeah, college you know that was dope like bro that was yeah. that was one of the most powerful things that i had seen in prison bro you know what i'm saying and that would come from people on the outside because you know on you you depend when you on the inside you depend on people to live through the eyes of your loved ones yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why we always say hey man send us some pictures you know because we want to see life in motion that's what inspire you that's what reminds you especially when you live in an environment like that yeah. you know what i'm saying your ideas your thoughts your emotions everything suppressed everything secluded segregated and put in a fucking box you yeah. know what I mean? So when you come in and you bring humanity to us, bro, like when you were speaking, bro, like you had everybody's undivided attention. I, yeah, it okay. was a few hundred. That gym was packed. You know yeah, what I'm and, saying? And not, and not to lie, right? Like I was definitely nervous. It was more nervous about like, you know, you're going like, and it wasn't anything about, I think, the, the guys in prison. Like just the intimidation of how like the chains the handcuffs, the guards, you know, they gave me some little uh, receiver that hit this button, 
if you're in trouble and then uh somebody i think it, it was somebody in there looked at us like bro that ain't gonna help you like <laughs> you should just be around us yeah. just be around us yeah, that ain't gonna help yeah. you ain't like, no doubt about it, bro, <laughs> you're gonna hit that real. button and you're gonna keep hitting it and it's yep. gonna take take them five minutes to yeah, respond that, that none of that was gonna matter but you but had the community you yeah know just just feeling though like you know when the gates closed and kind of walking through and i had to walk through the yard um to get to the gym i think it was the gym or the cafeteria it was one of the two i think it was the gym like walking through that mm-hmm. and just feeling like not the guys that were there um to hear us speak but just the general yard right you could just feel like the energy shift from outside to in and then you know i just remember having dinner that night and just you know i had made some new friends i had met y'all and just thinking about like you know those folks couldn't come home with me right they couldn't like you know, we couldn't mm-hmm. even go get a beer afterwards. We like yeah. like that that interaction was done, and that was it. And then not knowing, you know, because you never know. I wasn't living in Detroit at the time, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about. Because at the um, time you had came from Saginaw. Right? Well, I grew up in Saginaw, but okay. I left Saginaw when I was eighteen. Oh, okay. so I had lived in Chicago for thirteen years. I lived in New York for two years. I lived in Europe, and so coming back, it was 2013, 2014-ish. Um, so I hadn't lived in Detroit yet. So not knowing like where your path is going to take you. Um, and you know, like I always think about it this way. The reason I was even at Jackson state prison and it was the reason why, you know, I found founded culture creators with my partner cause she's one of the co-founders and we actually met at Jackson state prison. Holy smokes. Yeah. We, yeah. Damn. Yeah. My business partner. Um, and the reason that like all of that even took place, um, honestly, was because I did a free poetry show in Saginaw when I was like 19 years old, right? And then that led to a show in Chicago, and then that led to another show at a university. And the reason Moximo had my name was because of that one show, like, you know, 15 years earlier. And you just never know what decision you make and opportunity you take and where it's going to lead you. And that really led to me being uh, in in Detroit and meeting like Damasio and, and uh, Suppy, um, and a bunch of other young people that then inspired me to kind of start Culture Creators. Because I had started We Are Culture Creators, which is our music program. Um, that's a dope you name, know, too, thank bro. You. When thank I you. heard it, I was like, that's so dope. Thank you. That's thank a you. dupe. <laughs> <laughs> what a nigga from England? That's a dope. <laughs> hey, I was, just, I was just in England. I think they saw I like know that. you was. I said, man, I'm like, man, that's an awesome life, bro. Yeah, bro. What's um, the difference from here and there, bro? Um, what I, amazed you out there? And I mean, we were in Europe uh, as part of our program. We did this exchange with Berlin, Germany. Um, with this program that actually does intervention work. So it's called Gangways uh, Berlin, and they work with what they call opportunity youth, right? Other people call them uh, at-risk youth. Uh, young people that have been either incarcerated or touched by the system in Germany, and they work with a lot of immigrant youth. So you had all these Turkish kids, um, all of these immigrant kids that were, that were basically the second gen, mm-hmm. um, and there was no resources for them in Germany. So they were bringing all these, these, these folks from Turkey in to, to rebuild Germany after the war. And they had all these like remnant kind of like populations, but there was nobody serving them. And so mm-hmm. uh, gangways ended up intervening and in, in creating this opportunity of social workers. So they have like 40 social workers positioned throughout Berlin, but they have an exchange program. So this was our second exchange with them. And so our friend Olad, he ended up finding some money from the U S embassy in Berlin to bring um, 10 of us, uh, in particular, nine young artists to Germany uh, for an exchange and then nine artists from Germany to Detroit. So, yeah, so we did that exchange, you know, most of the kids are, you know, some of them are from Southwest. Some of them are from Detroit in general. All of them were BIPOC, all young black Latino artists. Uh, But then we extended the trip through our funding with the Lewis Prize. And we visited uh, six other countries. Congratulations so, yeah. on that, too, thank you, man. Yeah, for thank real, you. Bro. thank you, bro. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah. So, you know, the Lewis Prize was a uh, a five hundred thousand dollar investment. Um, it's a leadership prize that was given to myself uh, and Elizabeth um, mm-hmm. for We Are Culture Creators, and basically part of that money we were able to take those young people. So, I think the difference. Like every city had a different feel and like flavor. But with London, what was crazy to me is like I as an artist, I was like, yo, I've never performed out here. It's crazy. I've never put it on my schedule. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't cost that much more to go to California than it does to London. And so I think like for me, for real, 
Not not too much more. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like not much more if you add a few hundred bucks to your flight, you can go to London, right? Just the like, idea that you went to London. Yeah, like and, and I think like, you know? know, we went to Brexton, which is like the more immigrant African neighborhood. So to me, that was super dope. You know, I bought some shoes out there, which was cool because they go sneaker shopping in, mm. in Brexton. Um, and, you know, I got a haircut while I was out there. And it was all like, you know, like African immigrants. Um, and then we found some Latinos like there, like, you know, there was a Latino, like two Latino restaurants in, in, in Brixton, which was pretty dope. And then our, our group was dancing bachata and salsa. Um, but I think like, like there was a lot more similarities because we were dealing with a lot of like other like folks of color. Right. Like we mm -hmm. ended up clicking up with other Latinos, other black folks what that are like that in London. Like? How was their culture like? Um, like you know, it's, sim it's similar to being here. You know what I'm saying? Like, definitely, they take on a London flavor. They speak with that accent, you know, mm -hmm. like that British accent. But they're still immigrants, and they still have that experience to be the other. So I think it was interesting. We had, like, one night where we stayed out till like, 5 in the morning, a group of us. And really, we started off just kind of going to this rooftop, which was cool. It was nice. You know what I'm saying? It was pretty – it was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. But towards the end of the night, it became more and more black. And more like you know african and so we hung out and we were about to leave and one of the djs came on and just started playing some music and we stayed and then we ended up staying till five <laughs> um yeah we ordered pizza and we you know got drinks and everybody was just vibing but it was like like i wouldn't even really probably remember most of their names it was just like this moment of humanity that we shared together oh, and it was just like sweet. you know that's learning yeah bro it was like learning it was talking it was laughing some of it was just enjoying like life you know and just like talking shit. play american music yeah bro that's whatever. like yeah it was that but it, it played very similar stuff that we play bro like oh, yeah. yeah i mean I I also imagine. the weird thing is like you know being american and folks of color and being american it's different than being white Americans and traveling. Like, mm. you know, white Americans have a reputation um, of being rude, of being kind of self-centered. They just do. Like, a lot of people in France told us that, in Italy. But then you're traveling rape, with... Rape, pillage, and plunder. You know what I mean? So, like, that <laughs> reputation is there, right? But a lot of... We would get a lot of, like, y'all don't really seem like Americans. But it's like, because we come from a different culture, right? Mm -hmm. We come from a different experience. We, we experience that that space where, you know, a lot of us come from, not everybody, but a lot of us come from, you know, uh, areas that are a little more poor, don't have as many resources. And so we find ways to survive in a different way. And then we communicate differently than mm -hmm. let's say somebody who might be traveling to Europe. Cause think about it, right? I got a group of young people that none of their family had ever traveled overseas. Their grandparents had never traveled overseas. Some of them had never left the state and some of them had not left the region, the Detroit Metro area. So yes. here we are, like, You're traveling crazy. throughout the world, you know, and then we ended up taking them to Morocco. So we ended up in North Africa, right, Morocco. for one of the parts of the trip. Who the hell goes to Morocco? Um, you know Marrakesh I mean? is really, 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 really that amazing, right? And we met a few rappers there. We shot some video and content there. For real? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, like, Marrakesh is, like, a traditional city. So it's, like, it has, it has like, a Medina. So we're, like, in the middle of, like... And, and don't get me wrong, it's culture shock for a lot of them. And when I first went, it was culture shock, right? Because you're like, if you go to like Berlin and Madrid and London, like you still see a lot of the same stuff. It's the same. It's a, it's a Western cultural kind of like Did you go visual. to urban parts of there? Yeah, yeah, yeah for okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like all kind of the same, right? You're going to see the same type of infrastructure, the same. Like, mm -hmm. you're, like yes, the cars look a little different, but it's mm -hmm. like it's still, you can take a Lyft. You can take an Uber. Okay. But you go to Morocco. And it's just a different culture altogether, right? And and so, one, it's like a Muslim country, so you're going to experience that. Two, the food is different. Um, and also, culturally, it's still a tourist hub, for sure. Like, it's still, like, very much like, okay... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're equipped with trying to sell you stuff. They're equipped with trying to make sure you eat at their restaurant. They accommodate all your needs and wants and yes. desires. Yes, <laughs> but at the same time, if you take your time off of that tourist route, and take your time to like get to see the city outside of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, my own personal experience, like one of my favorite places in the world, um, just because there is this um, spirit of hustle there that's different than any other place I've been. Like they'll try to sell you everything and anything, for like ev food, clothing, jewelry. Yes, but it's just a cultural thing. You got to think. Yeah. We think like, oh, it's a new thing because like flea market. It like seems like it's like the largest flea market you ever been to. <laughs> And it seems like we could say like, oh, it's capitalism and consumerism, but you got to remember that's been a, a hub of commerce for like 1,200 years. So that's like mm -hmm. embedded in their culture, right? To be able to 
you know, and then, you know, it's fun because you negotiate, you're talking and then you become friends. Like the restaurant we ate, we ate at like three times. We you get were to they know welcoming? them. Were they welcoming? Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, 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 because okay, like, cool. I mean, I think like especially in Muslim countries, as much as we get fed like on the media, what it is to be a Muslim, like one of the pillars um, in that culture and in that religion. Right. Is to have humility um, and to also take on strangers and welcome them and mm-hmm. feed them and take care of them. And so part of that experience, I think it, it permeates through all the culture. Now, of course, like anywhere in the world, wherever you go, you got to be smart. It don't matter. You can be in London. Mm-hmm. And, and if you are, if you're from the hood and you know, you know, where you're not supposed to be and where <laughs> you can be. And, you know, even if you could be the I'm from Detroit, I'll do this and I'll do that. But when you go to a place, you know, like, ah, I'm not from here. I probably shouldn't be over here. Ain't no doubt. You could tell. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you use that sense. Like, it's the same thing, like, right, we were in Madrid. Madrid is a, a really safe place. But, you know, you can't get it fucked up. You got to know, like, there's areas where, you know, people are known to get pickpocketed. People are known to get robbed. All these things. Mm-hmm. And you just got to use your you got to use your senses to understand where you should be and where you shouldn't be. You know? And so. Yeah. I mean, we all have intuition as well. Bro, listen. So. Traveling, traveling around the world, just having humility and, and, and kind of, like, being able to differentiate from what's safe and not safe and when you should feel you know like you just got to use that intuition right Mm -hmm. to to not to guide you and so like we traveled how easy or hard was it to communicate everybody speaks english bro it's it's like okay everywhere we went and every country only because now i think if we would have went further outside of those major hubs it might be different yeah. like in spain like you could like even okay france is like a perfect you guys example. were the ones with the accent yeah, yeah for much. sure yeah yeah, okay. yeah like for instance in france everybody oh french are so rude right like yeah. so everybody's like stereotype about french people one we met with a whole hip-hop collective everybody was great it was like you know me it was like meeting with cousins you had never really met you only seen them online and you meet them and it's like <laughs> yeah. oh shit, you like my cousin yeah. but um for sure like as long as I again, if you're humble and you let people, you try a little bit of French. Mm-hmm. You let people know you don't speak because there's definitely times when we were like trying to catch a train, and I'm talking to the guy, and he's just looking at me like I ain't even gonna talk to you in English. <laughs> He'll just talk right back to me in, in French, and you're like, please, I don't know what you're saying. And then he might be like, break down a little bit. All right, this is what you got to do because they definitely most of them speak English, mm-hmm. at least the ones at the tourist spots, right? Um, but I just think like again, letting people know that you don't know right a lot of times i was ordering a smile and i point i'm like yo i just i'm sorry i just don't know yeah, your language yeah. i know how to say you know you're, you're please thank you you're exposing ignorance yeah you know and you can almost and most like 97 percent of time people will laugh and just be like that's cool man okay. and they'll talk to you in english you know what i'm saying like yeah. we were we were ordering like you know food from um from restaurants a little bit off of the tourist tourist track but i think they're just so used to so many people traveling to that mm-hmm. area that at some point it's not like 20 years ago, right? Where I think there was a little more stigma. Like they they want that those dollars. They want you to eat at their restaurant. They want you to spend money on those at, mm. at the stores. You know, they want you to see the Eiffel Tower. Um, but you know, we also visited you know organizations that were doing community work that were doing oh, performances. Wow, that's dope. So like in, in Paris, we just met with uh, kind of like a setup like this. It was like one of these setups at somebody's. Um, you know space and they created like a really really dope podcast studio and they had some like a space to to rap and perform and we just shot a cypher with like you know our six artists and their seven artists Mm -hmm. and they were spinning french english arabic spanish and it was really dope you know what i'm saying all of all of them creating something for an experience same thing like in berlin like for like berlin because of techno music they love love detroit they love detroit love jay dilla they love techno mike banks they love anything detroit so you go there and you tell them you're from detroit it's like you're like a vip you're like a celebrity like, oh you're from detroit and then they'll tell you they'll break down music for you about detroit right yeah, you like yeah they're educated and you like damn i don't even know all of that i don't like, even know that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know but they kind of have to right because they have to be hungry because they don't experience it mm-hmm. like here uh, every day we get to experience Detroit art, music, culture, day-to-day life, food. So I think for somebody that probably will never get a chance to come to Detroit to meet someone, that might be the only time they get to even experience something close to their favorite artist, right? Mm-hmm. Their favorite DJ, their favorite performer. Um, so I think like, you know, our whole experience for that is, you know, that was the seventh, the seventh trip that I've taken young people overseas. And these are all people from the hood, from Detroit. Yeah, from, all of them, yeah. You know, and like like 
we like how you talked about in the beginning like people hadn't been out the city you know people ain't been out the state you know what i mean shit like that like it's a lot of people like that well i was proud yeah. of them because there was also a lot of people you know not a lot of people there was a few in the group that were afraid right mm-hmm. and not afraid in the sense because they were weak they were just like not sure if they should go they weren't if sure it was safe yeah well i don't even know about mm-hmm. safe i think it was more they had never experienced it so how would they know mm-hmm. you know if yeah. they would enjoy it how would they know if it's okay for them to do it, like, yeah. you know, we have one young young woman coming back now is moving to Chicago. And she was like, yo, the experience in Berlin gave me the confidence to be able to say, when I come back, I want to move to a different city to explore my create creative energy as a, a performer. Um, and that's what those trips are about, right? Like, I wouldn't want every person that travels to go to Chicago mm-hmm. or to New York and leave, right, or L.A. But I do think the confidence, think about it now. So for a young person that performed at, you know, in seven countries to ask them to perform now in Detroit or Chicago mm-hmm. isn't that big of an issue because now they've already experienced like, yeah, I traveled everywhere performing, you know, yeah, like, no doubt, you know, like one of it's the young, one like of the young people that was their first performance was in Berlin, you know, wow, for the first time, their first performance oh, ever wow. live, live did was you, in Berlin. Did you guys record? Oh yeah. We have video. We have yeah, a documentary bet, coming man. out. We That's have really like, dope, man. Yeah. you know, cause I always told people like, you know, a lot of people from the hood, from urban cities, I was like, how can you expect anybody to dream big when everything around them is so small? You yeah. know what I'm saying? And you know, being inside, I've learned so much about people, different cultures, different, you know, upbringings, different religions, all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, you, you come home and, and uh, you know, you get to see people, you know, just meshing together, the diversity. I was yeah. so I was so proud just to see the diversity, bro, because I always said, like, you know, that's that's one of the tools to to breaking down racism in our country is, you know, interacting in diversity. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, people don't know how to see big or plan for the future or think about the future because our mentality's always been live for today, debate tomorrow's never promised, only the strong survive, kill or be killed. You know, that's our mentality, bro, you know? And um, so to even imagine thinking about going to a whole different country and you taking, you know, these brothers and sisters from the neighborhood, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. who probably never thought about going to London or anywhere and actually do it. Like, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful for the spirit. That's beautiful inspiration, motivation for people from the neighborhood. And, and you know, my generation, bro, like, we never thought about anything other than living and dying in the hood, you know? Yeah, I mean, I asked, like, one of the young guys, you know, like, I, I try to take a chance to, like, work, like, to speak with all of them at least once because it was, I mean, it was taxing. We were on the road three weeks. You know, you get tired of people. Like, just honestly, you get tired of each other. They get tired of me. I'm difficult to be around. You know, I demand mm-hmm. a lot. I, I'm a headache. I'm loud. I'm annoying. Um, but so are <laughs> they, right? So so you're together. You got to create and carve out space to, like, be, you know, to have your, your solace. But, you know, I try to talk to each of them, and I was like, yo, so, like, why did you decide to come? Because you didn't have to, like, none of them had to go on the trip. They could have easily been like, no, I got something going on, um, you know, and one of them was just like, I wanted to show my family that there was other options and, that uh, you know, you can do something with this creative side of art and music. Mm-hmm. Because that's the other thing, you know, a lot of the young people I work with, especially in Southwest, you know, it's hard for their parents to... And I think some of it has to do with, you know, people projecting their own insecurities, their own inabilities onto their children. Mm. So it's hard for their parents, you know, when you see an adult tell their kid, like, yeah, you can you could do something with music. You could do something with photography. You could do something with art. You could do something with songwriting or videography or podcasts or anything. Like for their parents, that's unimaginable. So they're like, oh, you're setting them up, you know, mm-hmm. setting them up for failure. Why are you why, why are you feeding them? Um you know, some of this, like, you know, this story that you can make it. But I think, you know, that's the first layer. And then eventually as their children go to Europe or travel or get a gig or buy a house, because some of them have um, with their talents and their music, I think you start breaking down some of those layers. And I think we just really at Culture Creators, um, you know, we have the audacity to believe in people, right? And that sometimes <laughs> is is a hard thing, right? Like, how do you tell a young person, you know, I want to be a photographer, mm-hmm. and they come to me, and I'm like, well, you can be if you want to be, and it's not like a one in a million shot, 
you definitely there's a lot of ways to be a photographer right mm -hmm. like if you want to shoot for media and news you can do that if you mm -hmm. want to shoot like weddings and quinceaneras you can do mm -hmm. that if you want to shoot video and do music videos you can do that if you want to shoot podcasts you can do that but i think like we're so prone to like and it was the same thing growing up in saginaw you know i, I fortunately i had enough mentors around me that showed me different paths and opportunity you know mm -hmm. one of my friends uh runs this magazine called mi gente magazine since i was a, uh, since i was a, a teenager yeah. and um you know, seeing him grind through putting out his own magazine. We used to get doing, that magazine in prison. Yeah, so like the 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 editor, um, it, it was one of my mentors back in Saginaw, and seeing him do that, and then you know, really moving to Chicago, and seeing this elevated sense of some other mentors that I had, you know, and giving us the opportunity to create like a youth center. I ran a youth center in Chicago for like thirteen years, Damn, but it, for but real? yeah, but it was always about opportunity and creating. Like, how can you take what little you have and create something beautiful that's sustainable and can also help you and your family actually create some economic opportunity, right? Like, I don't disillusion young artists that everybody's going to be rich, but you can set goals. Like, if your goal is to buy your mom a house with music, then you set that down and you could do it. And it has to do with, yes, of course, like the Jay-Z level, Kanye level, those are really particular artist paths, mm -hmm. but there's thousands of people that I know and hundreds I know personally that make music and art and make a living off of it every year, touring in colleges, teaching, I, I doing smaller gigs, adding swear, them up, bro. grinding. There's somebody that runs the lights. There's somebody that runs the sound. There's somebody that, that runs the cameras. There's somebody that does a flyer. All of those things are part of the music economy. And so... It's not just even the entertainment all economy, of it, you know all of I mean? it. And it's not just being the star. So and, listen, bro, you when, know, when I came home after damn near two decades, I, what I remember about Southwest Detroit before I left in, everybody was in a gang. Everybody was selling drugs or, you know, using drugs or something. You right. know what I mean? So I come home 17 years later and there's so much talent. Like, there really ain't no noise from the gangs and all that stuff. Like, it's just so many of this newer, younger generation. They're so creative. They're so talented from videography to photography to dancing to producing to rapping to, I mean, every, like, like mm -hmm. a whole new world, bro. And I was like, man, I, I was like, even for myself to have this podcast, I'm like, how do we eat? How do we eat with so much talent, bro? How do we eat? You know, like, you know, I, you know, I reach out to brothers. I've had so many brothers come on here and perform. And I wish I had the money to pay these guys because I feel like they deserve it. I feel like I deserve to make some money. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, how? Like, I always heard, like, in the past about Atlanta. Atlanta, everybody supported each other from the people who do hair to the people who rap and dance and sing and do all promotions and everything, from the clubs to the stores to all the business. Like, in its entirety, everybody supported each other, and that's how Atlanta was built up. And I'm like, why can't we do that here? Because I feel like, you know, if it's one thing, if it's your mission to just do this because it's a hobby or because you're good at it, but I mean, ultimately, you know, when you invest so much time and energy money you know what i'm saying into these things like you eventually want you know you want to see you know some type of you know uh profits in, yeah you know i mean i think i think one of the things that we've established like i do think you know at least in our circle there's a lot of unity for sure there's like beefs here and there that people don't get along and you know people's organizations don't get along um but i think one thing i hate that bro yeah i mean i think i, hate that, I think man. i think part of it is like for us, we focused on the unity piece. Like what, who are the people that we can work with and how do we elevate? And so I think culture creators came in Detroit at a certain time when it was, the timing was right in a sense. Had we tried to create culture creators 10 years earlier, it probably wouldn't have been successful. Five years earlier, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been successful, right? So I think like part of our success has been unifying with other art groups, right? Other creative groups. Um, and that's not just Southwest, like that's other black groups that aren't focused in Southwest. Um, I think part of it is how can we provide opportunity for other young creatives, right? And a lot of it is financially driven in the sense, 
can we connect them with an opportunity? Can we con- can uh, we want to be a cheat code in a sense? Like, can mm-hmm. we help you cut the line? Like where I took as a poetry, as a poet and an artist and a touring artist, you know, it took me, you know, 15, 16, 17 years to get the formula right. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I can show a young person in a year how to do that. Right. Yeah, and, and then they yeah. can take that and hopefully take it further than I can, right? Even I think of somebody like Damasio, who's a really dope artist, visual artist, mm-hmm. rapper, producer. Like he's way more talented than me in a mm-hmm. sense of like art. He's gonna take that way further than I can, but I hope that what I did, uh, what I was able to show him, what I was able to, how I was able to mentor him, I was able to give him some other opportunities that I probably wouldn't have gotten at his mm-hmm. age, that he'll be able to take it further. And now if you look at him, he's starting his own nonprofit. You know what I'm saying? He has his own LLC. He's, he's constantly working. So I think, you Let know. Let me ask you this. Where, where do you think my podcast can go? How far do you think it could go? What other opportunities are there for a podcaster like me? Yeah, I mean, I think like if you look um, how we, you have to look at like the trends of how we consume media, right? So, for instance, I watch a lot of guys that come home from prison. I watch a lot of guys' uh, podcasts. I do. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's, it's in my YouTube. Like, I just watch <laughs> it. And then also, you know, you have other ways to, like, Apple and Spotify and all these other ways to consume, like, podcasts. But to me, But it seems I like think, you need, like, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people to make a buck. You know what I'm yeah, saying? I mean, I think on the streaming side, but I think there's other opportunities, there's sponsorship opportunities. I think that there's there's ways to like create opportunity. Like, okay, I'll give you a concrete example. We are culture creators only has like five thousand followers on Instagram, which is nothing in mm-hmm. in the in the scene of social media. That's nothing. But what we do have is five thousand real people mm-hmm. that will come to an event, that will send a donation, That's definitely that will support that will help when we do our annual fundraiser mm-hmm. uh, that will you know donate time and energy and so i think you know for somebody that has a podcast i would take those people around me first and build and build like you got to remember like we are culture creators now with seven years old we started mm-hmm. i mean you've seen even earlier like we started with like 20 young people in the background in the backyard just looking at each other in the backyard doing a show <laughs> with somebody's borrowed speakers you know yep. what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. So now we have our own sound system, our own lighting, our own, you know, like, so I think part of it was, one, we were, and I would say even for the podcast, is you just got to be relentless. You got to be obsessed. Like, I, I have a hard time sometimes talking to, like, some artists and creators because, you know, there is a balance. People are like, you got to have balance. And I, I do believe there is a balance. But honestly, if you want to be successful in music, art, and culture, like, just truthfully, <clears throat> there is no real balance. You have to be obsessed with what you do, Right. And part of that obsession is like, like for me, I love what I do, but I'm gonna be real with you, bro. I wake up thinking about how I improve what I do. Like when I go after this podcast, I'm gonna be working on something at the house that's gonna help grow. We are culture creators and the things I'm trying to do. Before I got here, I was working on something to move. We are culture creators and the stuff I want to do. So yes, for sure, like self care and mental health, those are always important. But how do you edge out? And I'm just starting to learn that because. You know, I tell people all the time, I was never raised or taught how to take care of myself. You have I was, to. I was taught to, to to help people. I was always taught to take care of people, but never taught to take care of myself. So I'm just learning how to do that. And it feels good. You know, what I mean, I'm it's saying? hard to say no. Right. Like part of part of the process for me as like a young, like working with young people. You know, I want to help all of them. Right. If somebody asks me, hey, can you help me with this thing? I, I don't want to say no. But there's a reality where you at a certain point have to understand when you can say no to things and when you say yes to things. Um, and dealing in this space, especially when you're doing community work, because at the end of the day, yes, we help with our economic opportunity for young artists, but to be real with you, our space is about love. It's about consistency. It's about self-esteem. It's about building young men and women's character to, to be able oh, to get to, oh. to be able to be good human beings. It's not like the money and the opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's just a byproduct. That's something mm-hmm. that we can do. But what we hope when you go through our work and you work with us is that, that you become a more full human. And that could be, you know, that for, is beautiful. and, and for me, it's not about keeping young people for five, six, seven years. It's like, yo, you might only come around us for like five months. But mm-hmm. if you left that, and down the line, you have 
gotten something that made you a better person, then we've achieved our mission. Now, you always want to have some young people that are, you know, the day ones, the ride or dies that mm-hmm. are going to be there with you. But at the end of the day, you know, what we hope is that a young person will come through our program and find their own passion and be able to build that Man, to sustain their families and so find dope. opportunities. That is so dope. Right? So bro. that's why, like, even when we, if you notice, if you ever look at our social media and what we share, a lot of times there's joint logos on the flyers. It's like mm-hmm. culture creators with someone. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's with someone is because we made a conscious decision early on. We want those young folks. I'll give you, you know, uh, EJ, D, uh, South, Southwest EJ, man, right? DJ EJ. Yeah, so, so he has his company, Fiesta Vibes. Whenever mm-hmm. we do Latino stuff, you'll notice that his logo is on our stuff and mm-hmm. our logo's on his. But the point of that was... And so, I appreciate the invitation because I get one every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, like for us... It's important that he can lead, like whatever, you know, you never know where life goes. He might be like, yo, I want to do something else with this company. It's his. That's mm-hmm. his LLC. He yeah. owns that. Yeah. He can do, he can grow that and do whatever he wants. But in the moment, we're working together to build things together. So we work mm-hmm. single the Mile together. We work other, other opportunities. We have a Drake versus Bad, Mo- Bad Bunny show coming up in Chicago uh, this Saturday. You know wow, what I'm saying? So, like, dope. it's the first time that we're producing together. Well, this would actually be our second time producing uh, together. Uh, in Chicago, and, and so so me growing up, we came up with that whole crab in a bucket theory. That's how you know a lot of us in our community yeah. was everybody tearing each other down. And you know, in the work that I do with Ceasefire and with the DHDC, you know, we go out there, we do a lot of uh, violence prevention and shit like that. Yep. But ultimately, I feel like it is what you're doing, the work that you're doing, and the work that we're doing is teaching morality yeah you know it's not you're right it's not about the money and everything it's about creating better humans and you know like that's the way you stop the violence is by teaching people new ways i mean you you know about this right also if these young folks that you're mentoring through ceasefire and some of these people you come into contact with if they have more opportunity right would they be in the situations that they're in Right. If we think about if you could time travel and you talk to some of the guys when you were younger, hey, bro, you can do 20 years uh, working and making this much money with this opportunity or you can do 20 years in prison. What are most of them going to decide? Now, you still got some wild motherfuckers that don't care. Mm-hmm. Right. But th- we're not talking about the one out of 100 people. The other 99 people will probably pick, yo, I want that opportunity where I can provide for my family, where I could, like, you know, buy my mom a house. Where I can Absolutely. Get a, right. Yeah. And so I just always think, too, is like if we don't have opportunities for these young brothers and sisters, we can't talk about um, we can't talk to them about ending the violence and stopping the violence. If we can't stop police violence in our neighborhood and address that, it becomes hard for us to talk to them about mm-hmm. like, yo, y'all should stop doing this and this. It's like, bro, they just need opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I think with the work we do at Culture Creators, and there's a lot of groups that do great work because if I'm big enough, we are culture creators. That doesn't mean that I don't see value in the other hundred groups in Southwest that are doing mm-hmm. really dope work. That's mm-hmm. important. We just do different things. Like, you know, like um, uh, MCSDA, right? Like Motor City Street Dance Academy oh, with Matt. Yeah, yeah, right? We do dope. different work and similar work. But, bro, we've always had a unified front with them. Mm-hmm. We've always That's supported. Dope. They've always supported. We Sometimes we're competing for the same grant money, but it's irrelevant. And, and, because and, if they get the opportunity, they feed it back and we feed it back. And at the end of the day, sometimes we even have the same young people going back and forth, trying to experiment. What I like? Do I like breaking? Do I want to rap? Do I want to perform? Do I want to dance? Do I want to make beats? But it doesn't matter, bro. All that matters is those kids are being serviced. It does not matter. Like to me, culture credit is going to be what it's going to be. We're going to do a lot of organizations who are getting money and ain't doing what the fuck they supposed to be doing with that money. They ain't ain't distributing that shit to their people like they're supposed to. And that's one of the things, bro, that I've learned in the three years that I've been doing, you know, community work and and outreach work, bro, is I don't like the fact that we all supposed to be in the business of helping and uplifting, inspiring and motivating our communities and, and, you know, becoming an asset to society in general and we all in the same field of work but everybody you got people who be backbiting bro over over this money and over grant money and i think it's it's a damn shame because i want to see everybody do good because everybody's supposed to be purpose driven everybody's supposed to be living daily with some type of meaning some aim and some direction and to improving the quality of life for our people and for our community bro but you know like they, they you know you i've seen it like people stepping on other organizations just for the sake of money and profit you you ain't no different from a motherfucker on the street then you know yep. what i'm saying or we, or a corporation 
right? Like yeah. a large corporation that doesn't care about people. That just would the profit will be their end, the end that they want to see, yep. and anyth- they'll do anything to get it. I mean, I think because we got a lot of talented people, but sometimes they just lack the finances to take them to the another to another level. You know well, I'll I'm tell you saying? this, bro. Like, look, culture creators. I don't know what people might think of culture creators. Uh, as far as on the financial side, bro, we existed for like five years without any grants, like mm-hmm. zero. Like yeah. we were paying for that out of our pocket. We got two grants. And that's and what we, it got, takes, we got. We bro. got two two grants, takes. and we started because we were we were asked to apply for a grant, and then there was a gap of there was a gap of five years up until the Lewis Prize. Mm-hmm. We hadn't we hadn't got any grant money because mm-hmm. it didn't matter. My mentor in Chicago always said, if you service the need, money will come. Right? If you're mm-hmm. doing the right work. And you're servicing a need that is needed. Like all that other shit don't matter. Mm -hmm. If you start chasing money and adjusting your program because you're chasing money, Mm -hmm. you're going to fail. There's a lot of programs that start up. And as soon as the grant runs out, that that program's done. Ain't nobody going to do it. I'll tell you this. For the last seven years, with money or without money, our doors have been open to service young folks. Our doors have been open when people needed a place to stay. Our doors were open when they needed a studio, when they needed a backyard space. And we didn't have a lot. It was stuff that we, you know, struggled for as a group um, and as, as a collective, but it was more than maybe some of the other young folks that were coming really from nothing, you know, like where we know that story where people really like, cause like, you know, at the end of the day, I got a house where I can open up the backyard. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's got a stage. It got a good sound system. We got all this cool stuff. But then we're dealing with people that we know really are coming from nothing. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's family generationally, mm-hmm. you know, grew up in Southwest but don't own their home and it's renting. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Three yeah, generations, yeah. four generations deep. Yeah, yeah. That, that migrated here. And don't even have a brand new car or none of it. a working car or none of it. You know, a job or retirement or get taxed. And even that is crazy, like a retirement plan. And even just basic human rights stuff, yeah, right? Where you can yeah. think about somebody who ages out of work and then they still got to work. And you see, you know, Abuela over there still working because there's no other option, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's, it's, it's within, like, it's relative, you know? And, and I feel privileged that we are able to have a safe space that young folks can create and build and throw events safely and feel welcomed and feel like they're needed and necessary. Um, but I do think, you know, for sure, like... You guys put on dope-ass... Uh, events, bro. You thank know, you. you guys yeah, had a bull ride. <laughs> yeah, we did have a that bull ride. That was so dope. Yeah. I went on there, fell <laughs> off the thing, but it was fun. I had never experienced that before. Yeah, bro. But man, you guys are are so dope, man. And what you guys do thank over you. there and what you guys do for the community, man, is awesome, bro. And I wish you guys the best in everything you do. And if there's ever anything I can do to help or contribute, bro, I want to be able to be a part of that just for because. Sure. You know, I love what you guys are doing. I'm on the same path, bro. Yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? yeah, yeah. No, we appreciate the opportunity to talk about our work. Like, um, you know, we don't have a lot of platforms where we get to, like, speak about what we do. And then also mm-hmm. it helps us because, like, it helps me because I'm, like, talking about some of the stuff we do. I'm like, oh, yeah, we do do that. Like, mm-hmm. that is, like, that we, we are creating that space. But I love them stories when you come from nothing. You know, you mm-hmm. built everything you got, you know what I'm saying? And 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 not only that, you made sacrifices, you shared space. Like, well, as you're telling your story, it started reminding me of Angie Reyes. You oh, know, yeah, it's very, a very DHTC. similar story, like in a living room. She, yeah, she told me she started her youth program by letting people sleep in her living room, yep. kids and runaways. And, and, and I think people, for, telling me I think, story, I think people like, forget bro. that, though, too, right? Because we start getting this funding, mm-hmm. um, you start competing, and we're having these conversations now with philanthropy groups. Is like a, a philanthropic group that works from an office can't understand um, the difficulty that you face day to day as a community organizing group still in the hood or still dealing with kids that are coming from that environment. Like, like we had someone throw a, a chair through our window, right? A young person that was like, you know, they were they were upset with each other and mm-hmm. they were fighting, and the chair went through the window, right? If I were to tell a funder that that happened the day before, they'd be like, what's going on over there? Mm-hmm. But, you know, like in our community, like we're not taught conflict resolution, right? We're not taught to speak with our with our words, right? We're reacting and we're reactive, right? And then you also add in mental health and substance abuse Trauma. and all those things start to mix. And so, you know, that young person later on came and apologized and offered to pay for the window and was like, yo, I'm sorry. You know, it, it, he didn't mean to do it. You know, he was in a conflict with a relative and it happened. Um, but I think like 
the reality of what we deal with, you know, on a day to day with young people and the trauma they're coming from. Sometimes you can't really tell that story clearly to a funder mm -hmm. because they won't understand the context, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a lot of times we're chasing the good stories in a sense, right? Like, oh, this kid, you know, went to college and graduated and he went through our program and that's really dope. But we don't get to talk about, you know, how we had kids with trauma and we've been able to offer them, um, you know, therapy or resources. And mm -hmm. this is why um, it becomes challenging. And, and, you know, I think philanthropy is working on that. We're trying to have dialogue and conversations about what does it mean to fund? Like our organization isn't a hugely funded organization. Like mm -hmm. we're still very grassroots in a way. Mm -hmm. And so we maneuver different. Like when we were competing with people for that 500,000, like they're coming from organizations where they're like, yeah, we shut down during COVID, you know, our executive direct, like we have no option to shut down. Mm -hmm. Like we shut down, our kids don't have yeah. no place to go. Cause the, the, the work is real. Yeah. It's we're like, we can't just shut down. Yeah, like, yeah, and, and it's not, it's no dig against and any, any of those organizations because they're in a different space, right? Like if I was hired by culture creators to be the director, it might be a different conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the founders. Yeah. And so it's like my life's work. It's is we are it's not a job. It's, it's not a job you're giving. I mean, this I live, is, I live in, the, I still a... live in the culture house, right? I'm transitioning <laughs> out this year, yeah. um, but I lived there for seven years because that's what made the most sense for us financially. Mm -hmm. So half of the house is the culture house. The second house that we have is the culture house in the backyard. But I still have three rooms upstairs, um, mm -hmm. you know that that is technically my apartment now, right? Um, but it took us doing that in an unconventional way for us to be able to have the opportunity because had we done everything by the book, right? We wouldn't have this opportunity. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing about our festivals. Like we just had a festival called Backwoods and Bonfires. We had 9,000 people at that festival. <sighs> we did it bad. at the Russell Industrial. And we outgrew our backyard because we started in a backyard, mm -hmm. a side lot. We outgrew the side lot, the street, and the lot across the street. <laughs> and now we're at the Russell. And had we done everything by the book, with the city and all of the permits and bro, we would not have been able to grow as a business. Now mm -hmm. we do it. You know what I'm saying? Now we do it. Mm -hmm. One in the beginning, we didn't know any better. We were just doing it. Cause we're like, oh, we're just going to do a festival. You don't need like, let's just do it. By the third year, people are like, yo, you need to start putting these permits together. We're like, what, what are, what are you talking about? So I think like part of it is there's a risk reward, right? We could have definitely, right. You get sued, you get in trouble. There's a lot yeah, of things yeah. that can happen, Absolutely. right? A lot of things that mm -hmm. can happen, but, Part of it is like, and I was talking to my partner, uh, my business partner about this um, earlier, is like part of it, honestly, is you can, you know, we zeroed out multiple times, bro. Crazy zeroed out. Where most people are like, you know, don't do that. Don't make that decision. <laughs> don't make that decision. We're yeah. like, we zeroed out multiple times, bro. Cleared our account to the point where we dropped an album for one of the artists on Home Depot credit cards, bro. <laughs> we were going in there and doing the prepaid, the prepaid shits for like 100 a piece. Yeah. We got 10 of them. And that's how we paid for all of the stuff for the album. Damn. Bro, going through that, we had houses burned down. We've had, you know, we've had things that happened that we bought that we were going to build into the youth center. Oh, that mm -hmm. shit. Now that's gone. But we zeroed out multiple times. And it's just now starting to pay off where we have some opportunity and resources. But even that's never enough. Mm -hmm. Bro, like we, we won a $500,000 grant that's spread out for three years. It's like 167, 167, 180. Bro, I know people that I have friends that are making over 100K a year. We're supposed to run a program <laughs> off of $160,000, right? Mm -hmm. That does it, yeah. it seems like a lot, but once you start paying for like every little thing, connecting, yeah, buying new equipment, yeah. bro, you, you're paying insurance, you're hiring a new, you're hiring two youth organizers who you're paying, that shit drops, bro, it goes. So we're constantly in a battle for resources. But what we do have is we have committed people inspired people you have you know leadership that's committed to the work that we're doing that like you said it's not a job bro it's not a job for us like it's mm, that's what i'm saying and not to lifestyle. and not to exact yeah it's a lifestyle that's it's not and lifestyle. it's not to exaggerate to be yeah. like oh we're 24 of course but we take breaks we have fun we go out i go to bars we enjoy our lives to, but i'm gonna be real with you at the end of the day my priority is the work we're doing to build that legacy for the next generations and opportunities for my family, you know, my future family, any of those things that we're doing, creating, building, um, you know, and part of it is, can I help, you know, a hundred other young people mm -hmm. do it? Can I hunt? Like, even when I go back to Chicago, I have so many young people that are now in professional positions in media, in news and film and video. 
And I know we had an impact. You know, they tell me. But part of it is when you're doing it, you're doing it because it was the right thing. And now you're like, oh, man. Like, I have kids that – I have young people that work for, like, major news stations now, you know, producing news. Yeah, and they started wow. off in a little hot – sweaty room with no air condition <laughs> with one computer I and mean, we had to get stuff donated you know and so to me i think we're on the right path with culture creators um and we're always looking to improve and make it better and we listen to young people you have to like that's who informs what we do if a young person tells like that shit is not going mm -hmm. then we're not going to do it because it don't make sense to because we service younger artists and it's not like uh we service kids we service young adults that's mm -hmm. our main thing is 18 to 24 year olds that's what we like to do because there's a difference because no one's serving them one there's no there's a lot of like a lot of programs you age out we want to mm -hmm. catch those young people that are in that weird age of college you know yeah, growing absolutely. up looking yeah. for jobs Looking to that's move when out. they're making big life decisions and and we want to and we want to be there to be like yo we can help you. Yeah. Now we do have a high school program starting uh, in the fall with Western International, um, and well, who's going to teach it? Are those young adults that mm -hmm. we've mentored for the last six years? Two of them will be coordinating that program. Our 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 um, associate director is a young woman from the neighborhood that grew up there her whole life, immigrant family, blah, 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 blah. Same story. Mm -hmm. But she's the associate director. You know what I'm saying? English, Spanish, can speak both, fluent. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like the whole immigrant story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she she's our associate director. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we pull, we pull from the sweet. pool of people around us, you know? Yeah. So You know, when I uh, first came home, I've, I've had my job for three years now. I got it 90 days after I got home. And, uh, you know, I was a youth mentor. I am a youth mentor. But, I, you know, I automatically thought that the kids that I was going to be dealing with were like the kids of my age, how I grew up. Right. And and I when I came to work, I realized that the only way I was going to be able to service these kids and help these kids was I was going to have to learn from them. Yeah. I had to become the student, let them teach me. I had to be able to pay attention, listen to them. You know what I'm saying? I became the student and that was the only way I was going to be able to help them because their challenges uh, were very different from ours. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, I, and, and so that was just the only way I was going to be able to be successful was to be able to transition my mind. I mean, when you went in, social media beef didn't exist like no, that. You no, know what I'm saying? No, not at all. <laughs> like, not see, at all. see, like, you no, know, not that, at and, all, that's a real thing. You know what I mean? Like, not it's at like, oh, bro, there was no MySpace, Facebook, <laughs> was, no, none of that shit. Bro, you know <laughs> you come mean? home and it's like, yo, most of their life is on a phone now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got touchscreen phones and shit. Yeah. I never, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 for sure. But, you know, I've since then, though, even it's crazy, even during the pandemic, though, I thrived so much, you know what I mean? Because it was crazy to see the world frantic like that and panic and like, you know, um, it was just like everybody just didn't know what to do. Man, bro, listen, and when you get me, it from the mud, yeah. you like, uh, this but I was like, man, this is sweet, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I swear, since I've been home, bro, I've been marching to the beat of my own drum, bro, and I ain't broke my stride for shit, bro. I, like one one example for that craziness is like everybody's like there's no toilet paper doesn't like I went oh, into I went into the dollar store like where I live and there was toilet paper everywhere there was like stacks of like toilet paper and paper towels I'm like <laughs> I don't know where people were panicky but everything was yeah. still in stock where we was at so you know like it was yeah, like some of those suburbs crazy. bro they was going crazy out there it was like <laughs> it was like Lord of the Flies out there people were like killing each other over toilet paper but. But no, I think like that that speaks a testament of like, you know, I think your experience, like when you come from nothing and, you know, certain things get taken back, you just like, man, like we used to this. Like mm -hmm. it's the even, same old even thing. with all the people who died from COVID, like death is normal. You know what I'm You're saying? almost desensitized to it. You're desensitized yeah. to it, bro. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I had to learn a lot because my wife was always telling me, like, man, you're just always so cold and so dismissive emotionally. Yeah. And I've never really been like that, but I didn't realize that prison kind of made me like that because I told you a lot of our emotions and yeah. everything are suppressed. It's just I've been through so much in life, bro. I'm just used to it. It becomes normal to see people die and, you know, just see tragedy and, and you know, always getting bad news and you know betrayal and just all like I'm, I'm used to it bro you right. know what i mean right, right, right and um but but even like i don't even remember the last time i've like cried at a funeral or over people and it's like crazy you know what i'm saying but i'm still trying to get back in tune with that 
It's going to take time, though, right? Because it took you some time to cut it off. You probably were already at a process before you went in that you were cutting something. You remember how you were talking about saying no? Imagine going to prison with that mentality of not knowing how to say no, bro. You know what I'm saying? I went in there, bro, and I just felt so bad for everybody because them boys in there was hungry. They were struggling. A lot of guys ain't got support and family. So everything I had, I was breaking bread with everybody. You know what I'm saying? That I could. You know, I, I would even make sacrifices and go without just to help somebody else. But then I just started realizing, you know, because after a few years, my money started slowing down, you know what Mm -hmm, I'm saying? mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm like, shit, I ain't even got it like that no more. And then I'm realizing these guys got their hand out and don't even have the decency to uh, say thank you or none of that no more. They you ain't even appreciating this. You coming to me like I owe you something. Yeah. Yeah, So I said, you know what, bro? I ain't no hoe. I ain't no bitch. I ain't soft or none of that. I'm just a good dude. But if you're going to take full advantage of that then i'm gonna have to transition and then so i had to learn how to start saying no you know i had rejected my own heart for a long time because i'm like why is it i'm such a good person and i love helping and doing for people but i'm always getting fucked over you yeah. know what i'm saying and i hated that feeling i should never feel bad about doing something good yeah. you know what i'm saying but i realized where i was at you yep. know what I'm saying? I was in a concrete jungle with people who were desperate. They were manipulators. They mm-hmm. were liars. They were thieves. They were everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had to learn how to start saying no so I could survive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same way out here, bro. Yeah, I mean, I think the struggle, um, you know, in in that, and especially in the world we're in, too, is like, when you're dealing with like funding and grants and all this other stuff, it, it, it trickles down in a different way. You know, like our young people have a whole different reality um, than the places we're receiving money for our programs live, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think part of that is like, how do you keep your humanity when you're working with your young folks and, and keep that aspect of community? And how are you able to do with that, some of that no and demand when you're looking for the resources? And that's always a balance we try to keep, especially in music, because we're in like music, art, and culture. And that's a whole different entertainment is can also be really dirty mm-hmm. and really, really, really difficult to like maneuver because you don't know who's telling you a lie, who's, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, bro, and I've ran into guys like that, bro. I mean, these guys have come to me and gave me a whole song and dance. I'm talking about how these motherfuckers are signed by records. <laughs> deal they got i'm talking about just lying to me bro you know what i'm saying you like, like yeah Why? okay all right i'm like well that's great like i'm happy for him and and the whole time you feed me bullshit why for what you know what i'm saying you ain't rapping no song to me bro. you got to be real with me dog. how you gonna just create a whole illusion I mean, you know, I mean, also some of that social media, but there's always people like that, bro. I meet people all the time that can give you a million opportunities and then you find out like they ain't really about shit. Hell. That's real. That's a real thing. I work with so-and-so, me and Lil Wayne dropped the track and you're like, all uh, this, bro. All that, bro. All that. Oh, no, bro. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, I really believe it because I'm like, well, I ain't nobody to lie to. Like, well, who can make up something like this? He's not and nobody they to lie to. Do, bro. <laughs> Holy Hell shit. Dog. It's real everyday people, y'all. You can tell the truth. You know Hell what I'm saying? Yeah, dang. <laughs> But, hey, I guess it's a form of creativity. Hey, you know bro, that's why they artists, I guess. You yeah. know what I mean? They do it their best. Yeah, Especially I, you go to prison. Motherfuckers recreate themselves <laughs> like a motherfucker open there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I just seen the soft guys go hard and the hard guys go soft. Damn, I'm bro. like, man, dog, this shit's crazy. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, prison and, and life out here is there's par- it's parallel. You know what I'm saying? It's just like in mm-hmm. more different intensities in each. I never seen like homelessness like it is today bro and young people like you know it's just like man like they have communities of homeless people like you always knew about like when i was younger skid row and yeah you know i've seen it at other places but i've never seen it like it is today dog you know what i mean and i think i want to say a lot of it comes from drug addiction you know but these they they be playing roles out there bro because (laughs) i swear you go up and down eureka telegraph you see these motherfuckers on the corner asking for money bitch you got a pair of jordans on and shit (laughs) you know what i'm saying you you don't even look dirty 
don't look hungry. You don't look nothing. You talking about you need a dollar and shit. You better stop playing, man. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's definitely some of that. But there's I think, a scam, I, I think I, There is. I think, I think, you know, I think for real, for real, like mental health is a real conversation that, you know, I think we don't have enough conversation about in the Latino community and our community, you know. And also, obviously, that trickles into the black community, too. Um, and I think a lot of that, like even like, you know, I live near Clark Park. Um, and there's still a lot of homeless folks, folks without housing. And I think like part of it is addiction, but that addiction I think comes from, you know, not having mental health resources, bro. Like I think, mm -hmm. and I, and I, of course, bro, there's always people scamming and hustling you yeah, and people like yeah. trying to get extra money out of you. Yeah, but no I job. think like, I see a lot of that is, and I think this new generation is hyper aware, especially younger people I'm saying like under 25 about mental health and that they can, you know, ask for it, seek it out but the resources still haven't caught up, you know? Like, I mm -hmm. think in our country, we have very little resources. Like, what does a young person do that can't go home if they're, like, 13, 14, 15 years old? Like, where would they go? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, what, what would they do? And, you know, even for us, like, we have a limited cap of what we can do, right? Like, because we have to think of the whole, like, we have some young people that want to stay at the house and we can't necessarily take them all in because then we have a whole group that comes to the house every day. And mm -hmm. I got to think about, you know, the 200 young people that use our house every day, Absolutely. you know, I mean, every week, you know, throughout the week mm -hmm. um, and their well-being. And so there, I think there's a lot of conversation about that piece in our community. Sounds like you need to expand your services. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know? even know if I could take that up, man. It seems like a lot of work. Reyes, man, let the people know yeah, how, where sure. they can find you at, how they can find you, what they got to look up to, yeah. how they can come to you and get with you. Yeah, you could just go to weareculturecreators.com. That's our website. Um, also, at weareculturecreators on all social media platforms. Um, and then if you want to see my work, um, I do have a new project out with John Legend. Um, it's at Reyes Poetry, so at Reyes Poetry or ReyesPoetry.com. Um, and you can check out all of our work um, on those sites and you can see like uh, some of the flyers for the events. And we do like 100 events in the city. So hopefully we can see some of the people out there, you know, that are watching or watching the future. You're going to um, see the El Nino podcast. Be there. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you for the opportunity, though, man. Man, much love, yeah, bro. bro. I really appreciate you for coming sure, bro. through, man, yeah. sharing your story, your life. I wish you well. I wish you the best. Thank you. And uh, shit, man, much love to you guys. And it got me upset. Living in that very tell American dream. This has been an episode of Real Everyday People, part of the El Nino Podcast. Check out the El Nino Podcast live on Facebook every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And for full episodes, the El Nino Podcast is available on Facebook and YouTube.